Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to IndicatorCast episode 27. Uh, we are very excited today to be joined once again um, with Sam and John from Powerhouse Films for a second catch-up. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for coming on for a, for a second second interview. Um, how are you guys doing? Good morning, John. Yes, we're good, thank you. Yeah, very, very good, and great for the opportunity to to do it all again. It was, um, I think the last one we did was the November of 2019, 2020, I think was the last time we did it. So yeah, it's it's great to do it again now. Awesome, awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Lovely to be joining you guys. Awesome. Mm. Thank you guys. And also joined here tonight or, or this morning, depending on the time zone, uh, we have uh, Matt Schley all the way over in the US very early. Mm-hmm. How are you? Good, sir. Hi, I'm I'm good. How are you guys? And and I'm really excited to, uh, despite despite it being very early in the morning, to be able to make it to this one since I missed the last one. Mm. Awesome, good awesome. man, Matt. Good man. Awesome. And uh, and also joined here we have uh, Tony Meaches. How are you doing, Tony? All right, thank you, John. How are you going? And it's great to it's good to know Matt that you're very dedicated to be up this early in the morning in the US and. And John and Sam, it's a real pleasure to have you on again. Thank you once again. Thank you. Yeah, Great to no, be here. We love to do this stuff and get, I mean, it, it, I'm sure you've got lots of feedback from us from various uh, customers uh, of indicators. So it, it's great to uh, be able to feed, you know, all that back on on your podcast. Um, you know, we're obviously, it, it, just to let you know as well, um, we are five years old in, in six weeks' time. So it's our fifth anniversary on October the 24th, I think it is. And that saw the first release of Christine and Body Double. So, yeah, five years in the offing. So um, it's nice to to reach that. He's 10 years older now. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the thing. We do feel a little bit older now. But uh, at least we've reached that that landmark of five years. Wow. That's two days after my birthday. Well, that's why we did it. Just it accordingly. And also, as you probably heard, uh, we're joined by the regular once again, Ryan Kendall. How, how are you, good sir? I'm good. I cooked myself a lovely burger, and I'm pretty happy at, um, <laughs> doing this with you guys again. Thank you, John and Sam. It's always good to talk to you. And hello, Matt. How are you? You're a trooper. He's a trooper. I'm great. I'm I'm almost completely awake. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get to the end and you'll think, was it all a dream? <laughs> that'll, that'll probably make for better podcasting, right? <laughs> you were there and you were there. Ah, so cool. Um, well, look, we'll, we'll get right into it, guys. We'll get into the questions. We kind of uh, left off on some of the, the last questions, so we thought we'd kind of jump into it and um, just um, we've basically got a mix of old questions and new ones that we put out to the group. So um, if you don't mind, guys, do you want to get right into it? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Cool, cool. Let's get the discussion going. So, um, yeah, so starting off, look, um, Sam, you were kind of touching on this last episode uh, where you were actually going into sort of the um, the foreign film catalogue. And um, uh, Lee Lloyd Green asks, are there any plans for foreign language films, especially German expressionism, et cetera? Um, you were kind of answering that, but obviously ran out of time. And um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that one to you guys to, to take it. Yeah. Uh, hey, Lee Lloyd sure. Green from Birkenhead. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Good man. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've made a start in that direction with Irreversible. I know that we have, we're going to probably touch on that more directly a little bit later in in the conversation. But yeah, the short answer is that yes, we do have plans for foreign language films. Um, we, I, I'm not going to reveal any titles uh, at this juncture, but we we have actually under license quite a number of them. Um, some kind of very interesting titles. Uh, one of which I think we're planning is quite a significant box set. Um, for probably the back end of next year. Uh, so yeah, in short, the answer is yes. And whether we specifically touch on any German expressionism uh, is yet to be determined. Mm. Very I cool. like that expression, Sam, yet to be determined. <laughs> we use that a lot. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Yeah, no, but we're very excited to bring, uh, we've got some titles that we're really excited about um, that we're working on and, and doing restorations on at the moment. And we can't, we can't wait really to reveal. Were any of you uh, big fans of, of um, Irreversible or was it a film that you thought, oh, I can't really watch that one? It's, it's borderline for some people. They love it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love Gaspar Noe. He's brilliant. He's a great well, director. I think the one thing you, you, that certainly comes across uh, from Irreversible and, and um, certainly with, with Sam's relationship with Gaspar, who, who, who worked, you know, Gaspar got more excited as, as the whole project went on. I think that's reflected in, in, in the actual final set that we put together. You can definitely tell that Gaspar was behind it. And, um, you know, I, I think Sam wouldn't mind saying that, you know, there were a few changes that were made after many conversations with Gaspar and um, I think all for the better really you know if we if we I think if we'd not got him involved in it or Sam hadn't got him involved in it I don't think it would have turned out as well as it has mm. done um, so yeah very very pleased really pleased it all worked out yeah absolutely should we should we um should we get that next question because I, I know that Seppo's question is about rever irreversible so we should probably right I yeah, was sure going to say that. that's a really good segue into the next yeah. question. <laughs> okay. Of, um, how or why did Irreversible end up as mm. the exception to the language rule? What's the story behind that acquisition? Um, yeah, interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I think we went through, both John and I went through our sort of uh, histories within the industry last time we, we all spoke together. But just to quickly recap, for me, I, I was at um, Tartan Video, where that's where I started out, and Tartan re uh, released Irreversible in the UK. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's one of those films. It's hard to say. It's hard to say that you like it because obviously there's not there, there are some pretty nasty things that happen in it. But it's it's a film to be admired. Uh, it's quite an extraordinary film, and I think at the time when it came out, it really bowled people over. You know, technically, what it was doing with that kind of uh, seamless sort of editing where everything just looked like it was totally continuous um, and some of those effects being so amazing. So I think it just just left an impression. Um, and, you know, if we were going to start to do foreign language and if we were going to start to do more contemporary, well, I say contemporary, it's 20 years old, but for us, relatively modern film, um, that just sound, sounded like or felt like as good a film as any, if not one of the best films to do so when we had the opportunity to license it we just jumped at it basically mm. very cool yeah it's so yeah it's just it's just that level of admiration that we have for the film and for gaspar as a filmmaker as you say you know he's a pretty extraordinary filmmaker so to have the film in the catalog and to be able to i think do justice to it and to you know bring what we feel is a, a fairly comprehensive addition to the market uh was a real pleasure 
very cool yeah no, it's 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 a great film it had a bit of a controversial history down here in australia as the, the oh. uh, as uh, tony and ryan probably knows it was uh almost, they tried to ban it a few times but uh <laughs> it eventually get passed but I, I think it's a great film definitely they have yeah. tried to ban it quite a number of times but um one of the film critics here in sydney um, her name is margaret pomeran she was one of the champions of the movie she outright was was has was it was supporting and not banning it and it worked she, and, and mm-hmm. um and it has not been banned at all but she, the fun but the funny thing is i saw it in sydney for the first time with a double feature of lars von Trier's antichrist at the sydney opera house so that is something <laughs> that would have been a, <laughs> a double bill wow <laughs> that was yeah, a, that was an interesting double bill to say the least mm. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be made of hardy stuff Uh, excellent Excellent. cool um yeah so we'll um yeah uh we'll pass over to matt yeah i i i love this next question as a someone who's been consistently you know ordering direct from you guys for a long time from overseas so uh steve judge asks they have the best postal packaging of any company. Was this a conscious decision to aim for max protection? Um, it certainly was, um, Matt and to Steve. Um, I think yeah, the fact that myself and Sam, um, we still order uh, <laughs> an awful lot of product, some more than others, hey, Sam. But we, um, we still buy uh, lots of movies, lots of heart, um, uh, music, and, and, and it's the array. Sometimes you just see the parcel coming down the line and the postman in his hand and you're going, oh, no, that's going to be damaged or it's going to be. So it's something that we've been very conscious of, and particularly the box sets that we produce, um, you know, they're pretty lavish. And if those get, you know, thrown around or the, you know, they, they need the maximum amount of protection possible. So that was the really right from the outset when we spoke to uh, the distribution company that uh, that we, we were key really to get that, that part um, that part right. And it, it, judging by the many posts that we see on Facebook and on various forums, you know, they, they seem to get it right. I don't say they get it right every time because, you know, you do see the odd... Um, um postal worker kicking it down the street sometimes and you think oh dear but i think generally yeah no it was a very conscious effort to do that and um i think it's it's paying off um we you know it's become we could become highly regarded in that uh, in that area did you guys do any testing like did you kick boxes full of stuff just test (laughs) out your packaging yes yeah, they do absolutely. That, I mean, whilst whilst it, you know, it's a funny comment, but it's true. They do um, get boxes and they they will kick them around and just uh, just to see how how the thing pans out. Um, you know, they have, <coughs> they do distribution for some other labels as well, and um, you know, everybody, one of them in particular, a Japanese animation company. You know, they have a whole variety of boxes in different sizes and. So they're constantly buying it, looking at new new ways of of, of packaging. Um, ours are pretty standard now. You know, we don't vary much from the box set to you know the normal limited edition type um, stuff. But but some of the others do, and so they yeah they they have to compete and make sure that um, they're getting the right boxes and the right protection. Mm. No, it, it certainly pays off. Definitely, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, 
because like I think all of us so I've had numerous you know limited edition sets and box sets arrive in a you know like a flimsy envelope I, I shake my head when I see it coming yeah <laughs> so it's a little scary shopping overseas for for something as fragile as you know a, a blu-ray or dvd box set yeah yeah the yeah. long trip overseas so yeah well it is absolutely that yeah there's a lot of hands go on that parcel before it gets to your doorstep or a lot of feet in some cases as well <laughs> amazing very cool oh that's uh, great cool I'll turn yes yeah um paul cashman asks universal produced some interesting british pictures in the late 60s but ended up shutting their uk division due to rising costs and mixed box office results Seeing as how they have been a slew of universal titles announced recently, any chance of of some of those of these turning up? Like there are some titles, for example, three into two won't go. The both is gone, and work is a four letter word. Spring to mind. I love this question. This this period of British production where the studios got involved and then kind of uh, ran away because you know people were making more and more sort of crazy films is is really my one of my main areas of love in in cinema so uh, yeah i love this question and um as it happens we do have a couple of those titles under license which is a, a little bit of a reveal i won't confirm which oh, um, great. yeah um i mean we've got a lot of that kind of stuff coming we've got um there's some titles that are going to be announced soon john can i mention one or two what do you yeah, think go for it yeah why not yeah. so we've got got um, a 1970 picture called Bartleby which is a film that we've long admired uh, again British of this era um, we've got uh, we, I think we've already sort of revealed that we've got Jerry O'Hara's The Brute which is a little bit later 77 but we're still very dedicated as well as to other areas of cinema we know whether that's foreign language or, or earlier films 30s 40s or in some cases uh, later 80s 90s I think that kind of focus around that 60s 70s space is is still going to dominate really what we do it's um there's a lot of great films made which uh, a lot of which have really had uh, too little exposure and these are great examples of the kind of films that have had too little exposure and the kind of filmmakers so yeah I mean really the biggest challenge with some of this stuff and in fact specifically with 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 these titles is that there are no HD masters so really the question is um, the kind of relationship one has with the studios in this case with Universal um, and, and whether or not um, they can be um, influenced or inspired to make their own restoration or whether that's something that we can undertake having proven ourselves in that area for a couple of years now we've been doing restorations um uh, so that's that's the challenge so whilst we do have these uh, some of these titles under license and some similar titles under license from the same sort of era it's amazing it's great um, thank you for the reveal that's that's amazing thank you guys um yeah I, th I think you know like i said we love the british films that you guys put out and once again for, for a lot of us outside of the uk a lot of these are actually discoveries a lot of these sort of films like yeah something i haven't even heard of and and i really enjoy them when i watch them so yeah that's that's great, that's great. perfect cool all right so um matthew lenton um asks 
does having a number of different boutique labels in the UK make it harder to go for available titles? Is it more complex working with multiple licenses? How, how much forward planning is there with regards to what is released? Do you want me to speak to that, John, or do you want to take away yeah. some of that? Uh, I'll take up a little bit of it, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the different boutique labels in the UK, um, I think there's probably less now than, than there certainly was when we first started five years ago. Um, and yeah, the availability of titles. I think we might have mentioned this in the last podcast, you know, dealing with the studios now it, it is getting much tougher. Um, I think we, we laid we laid that to you. And that's that's still the case, you know, where, um, you know, for example, in, in the UK, I don't know whether it, it's, it's, it's everywhere, but, you know, Universal and Warner Brothers are now doing a joint venture. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's just becoming it's becoming tougher. But saying that, it's all about relationships, and we seem to be working very well with with certain studios, um, and that that really really does help. But you know, I think with with all the different labels, you know, we, we want everybody to, to to still you know the, the, the likes of Arrow, the likes of um, Second Sight, etc. We want them to keep getting more and more great product because it's helping grow the market. You know, I think we, we all know that the Certainly the DVD market, and particularly here in the UK where we're pretty focused, um, you know, is in massive decline and has been for, for quite some time. Whereas the boutique label market, the the area that we're in, has, has shown, shown great growth. Um, so, you know, I think we have to, we're, we're more, I think we're more clever now than we were when we first started five years ago in, in terms of trying to reach out to certain uh, studio certain uh, independent producers etc um, whereas we weren't initially because I think when we when we first started that five years ago you know we had our deal with with Sony Pictures and that pretty much took all our time up you know that was our focus you know we had a hundred and whatever titles to go at so we didn't really look outside of that too much whereas now I think we you know particularly Sam is is, is constantly looking at, at where else we can go and you know hence the reason you know for some of the the, the titles that you, you know he's just talked about now where you know we've done independent deals uh, outside of uh, of the studio deal so yeah it's, it is it's a bit more complex working with with the, the multiple licensors but I think we seem to be getting there. And in terms of forward planning, you know, we're at the time, Sam will probably take it up now and tell you where we're planned up to. It's probably the end of next year at some point, isn't it, Sam, I guess? Yeah, if not a little bit further, we've got a lot of titles under licence um, and are actively in conversations with other um, licences too. But yeah, just to, just to echo some of what John said, really. I mean, yeah, I mean... <laughs> There is competition between all of all of uh, the boutique labels, but um, we just see that as a positive. You know, as John says, their success is is the continuate is the continuation of everyone's success. Really, you need that competition in the marketplace. You need great labels like um, like Arrow and Second Sight and others to be turning out great products, so that the consumer can continue to feel that you know they they are being kind of treated you know really really well that if they're going to put, put put this money over and pay for something that no one's you know taking any shortcuts or you know not respecting their desire to see quality product mm -hmm. so it's only a good thing and and of course the more people are in the market the more competition there is to find uh and license content and you know you can often find yourself or you can find yourself in a kind of bidding war and i guess it's at that point you have to be pragmatic about whether or not someone else having it and it coming out is a good thing because there are other titles that you can focus on or whether you really, really want that title and prepare to pay more 
Um, but obviously that's a sort of individual company's decision. So, yeah, I, I think we're all, it, it benefits all of us, I must admit, as as collectors, like, because <laughs> we are, like, we're always excited to see what Eureka's got to announce or Arrow, and it's all mm. a treat to get, because yeah. I know obviously get your package from from uh, Powerhouse, but also I love getting my Eureka and, and Arrow. Yeah. It, it benefits all of us, definitely. They put some great products out, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we love getting those packages too, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, we do, yeah. Really great stuff, yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Um, Kendall. Yes. <clears throat> All right. This is from Mitchell Lyson. Are there any instances of extra material that they would like to have included on a particular title and they couldn't, i.e. Sweet Charities Roadshow? Oh, that's a really good example of something that we we fought so hard on that. Um, I mean, one, one you kind of end up wondering whether if you hadn't said anything and just done it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, uh, you might have just got away with it, but I suppose that's just not the way we think. We like to dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure we're not, you know, upsetting our relationships with studios. So, yeah, we did spend a lot of time engaging on that one and actually drafted in some um, some very knowledgeable people in that area who had expert expertise in the area of. I mean, it's probably not revealing very much to say that it was obviously a kind of a music uh, clearance issue. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, most, I think the, the main thing to say is that the studios, although one can get into this kind of slightly paranoid space of thinking, oh, they're just trying to shut us down in these instances. I think the truth of it is that they are always trying to help when and if they can. But if they hit a brick wall on something, then there's only so far that you can go. And, and so there's only so much time to have a given conversation but I, I think in the main our experience with all of the studios um when they're looking at and approving uh the, the kind of material the the extra material that we're putting onto our releases even if they have to say look you can't say that or you, you that you know we can't give that impression they're definitely trying to find ways to facilitate the outcome i think the the only Huge disappointment recently was uh, a, a title. I think we're probably going to come on and talk about it later, which we had to we had to just stop the whole release because, for one reason or another, somehow it was a more sensitive uh, proposition to the studio, and pretty much everything we'd done was being ripped to shreds. And in the end, there just wasn't a release, you know, like we weren't able to include the commentary at all, uh, things that we'd licensed in. They were saying you can't use that. And it um, just became untenable. So, again, you know, we obviously did what we could to have the conversation. But again, you've got to be pragmatic. You've got to say we've got a million other things to get on with and this is going nowhere or at least we've taken it as far as we think we can take it. Um, so I think that's really that that one instance where we actually had to sort of stop the whole release is is the only time when it it's got very very bad. Um, just nips and tucks here and there, and you know, again, I've used this word a few times. Pragmatism, you know, you just need to sort of say, well, I'm still putting a great release together, even if we can't include the sentence in a booklet or you know, in a in a in a talking headpiece. I think in general, yes, you know, I think the end result always uh, does the full justice, I think. Yeah, so um, this this next question came in from a couple of different people. So Charles Ivory and Raphael Rebello 
uh, both asked some variation of uh, will there be any plans for UHD releases? And then what do you guys think of the UHD market? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that again. Um, I mean, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, we, 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 we sort of recognize we're not getting into that market as early as other players, you know, the likes of Arrow, Studio Canal are doing amazing work in that space. Uh, it's great to see the BFI putting their first um, UHD announcement out just recently. Uh, we, sorry, I can't really put too much meat on the bones of this, but we have done quite a big deal. Um, it actually segues with the conversation we were talking about with uh, foreign language films um, on um, a range of yeah, international titles where we are going back to original negs on them all and we're doing our first end-to-end -end 4k restorations we've already completed two of them and you know i'm just kind of bowled over by what i've almost had to readjust and relearn how to look at the monitor you know it just the way that the image sings is quite extraordinary um so we're very excited about that that's something that we'll we won't be revealing very soon in terms of the details, but it's going to be sort of back end of next year where we'll start to uh, make announcements around that. That doesn't mean to say that we won't get another title on UHD between then and now. That may happen. Um, I think next year will be the year for us when we start to bring UHD titles to market. What do we think about the market? Well, I think it's um, I think it's a bit of a risky space in the sense that you know Blu-ray boutique is already quite niche um uh, what john said earlier about the, the 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 continuation of the kind of the dwindling of the dvd market as the digital starts to take over with all the studios developing their own platforms and in some ways in some some instances kind of holding content back with the physical market whether that's licensing it or putting it out themselves i think there is a direction of travel which a lot of the big players are trying to force you know which is to have people turn on to their subscription offers and so on and so forth. But I think while there are there is a healthy community um, out there, and there definitely is, and you guys are great examples of that, of people who still want to receive kind of well-curated, well-put-together packages, highly, you know, high-quality presentations, then, you know, UHD is a kind of, although commercially maybe not a no-brainer, but I think in terms of the quality piece, you know, that it is a no-brainer to say, well, look, we can, we can take this restoration to this, new level we can go beyond the 2k and go to 4k so i think it's a it's a it's a chance it's a should we say a risk that we are definitely keen to take and we sort of hope that the uptake will be strong i mean the indications anecdotally looking around us suggest that with the right titles you know um it can work arrows doing a great job in that in that area so i think I think whilst it's obviously a section, a sort of a portion or a section of an already niche uh, area of the market, um, I think if we can get it right and if we can maybe just introduce some surprises and maybe bring a few titles that might kind of, you, you know, that you couldn't second guess, that could be interesting. That's what we've always tried to do with Blu-ray, sort of, you know, going back to that conversation about those less well-known titles from the Universal catalogue. We've always tried to mix the better known and the, the less well-trodden areas so i think we'll be looking to do that with uhd as well uh, and what's your your it'd be interesting to get your views you're obviously you guys are all regular buyers of of um of, of this in this in this genre what about are any of you into the uhd are you buying product now uh no certainly i've you know i've picked up some of the uhd titles at the 
you know, more boutique labels have started to release. And it's interesting to Excellent. see, you know, venturing into this space. But um, I've never been a sort of a, a proponent of, you know, shouting and banging on the walls that, oh, well, we need UHD. I, you know, I think right. there, there's probably a point of diminishing returns that we're hitting in terms of, you know, increasing the quality of maybe, maybe it's just me, but my, you know, eyes probably aren't quite good enough from 10, 15 feet across the room to pick up that massive a difference on, on a lot of the movies that are being released. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fun extra, but I don't think it's an absolute necessity. Okay. I think it is like like you say. It's I mean, in terms of our domestic setups, it's really it's so different to so the leap from DVD to Blu-ray, where the difference was just obvious. You know, I mean, just immediately obvious. Whereas, I think this is more about scale, isn't it? So it's really a question of whether you're the kind of person who who wants a really big monitor in their living room, and I guess that's a very kind of dedicated consumer. So yeah, it it will be a kind of um, suck it and see uh kind of thing to do um and i suppose we'll just map out the future according to you know what those initial results look like really and what um, about australia for the other guys ryan and tony and john i'm um, just happy that um films are getting released and like unknown films to them so the masses are getting released really <laughs> yeah 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 sure and um, but yeah, I was wondering if you do go into that like 4K UHD like market area, would, does that mean your releases would be two disc? Would there be like a Blu-ray disc and a 4K UHD disc? I think that's still up for discussion. Um, you know, different mm. people are proponents mm. of different approaches. I mean, back in the day at the BFI, I think we were one of the first, I think, to go with a kind of dual format approach, which... You know, different people had different views on it. Some people were, you know, why do I want this DVD disc? I'm just going to use it as a as a coaster or something, you know. <laughs> so I always felt it was a sort of quite a nice sort of Trojan horse um, thing to be doing, you know, that if you if you if your consumer was a, a DVD consumer before too long, mm. he or she, you know, after a year's worth of purchases might have 15, 20 or 30 Blu-ray discs in their collection so for perhaps you know additional costs they've suddenly got this collection and all they need to do is buy a, a 40 or 50 pound player and they can start to reap the rewards you know having that mm. rather than having to go back and repurchase every single one of those titles so i think there's i think there's a certain logic and um uh, quite a nice kind of uh idea there with the dual format approach but then maybe there are arguments to go the other way so i think we need to do a bit of thinking and planning around that so we'll we'll perhaps reveal more on that when we get to next speak in coming months yeah yeah i'm uh yeah i, I say on me 4k look it's not a like i, I do like like i'm set up 4k uhd and I, I really like the format but it's not really a necessity um but mm. like if, if you know for example arrow release crash you know they, they released the blu-ray it's yes. interesting because arrow actually don't do dual format you have to buy one or the other which yes. i find quite yes. interesting so <clears throat> so with crash um so yeah so if arrow announced the title i will always opt for the 4k um just just naturally i'll, I'll just go for it because um it just you've got that you know it does benefit there is benefits to 4k but like i said blu-ray still looks amazing and and i think we're just with compression and whatnot that it upscales well 4k setup um i think tony you can also kind of uh 
uh, attest to that as well. You're, uh, you've got a quite a good 4K setup. So. Yeah, yes. Um, with the 4K setup, it, I do agree with you, John. The when you watch a when you play a regular 2K Blu-ray in a, in a 4K player, the upscaling to 4K looks astounding. And um, with 4K, I, I I don't mind it personally. I quite like it. But with the newer films that were shot digitally, it just seems too. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Too, too smooth and too clean. But like, but I know that's the point of 4K. But, but for like, um, but for like all the films that are shot on, on 35 millimeter film or any other type of film stock, it looks so much better in 4K. Especially um, films that were shot in 70 millimeter. And um, the, like two of my top favorite old films of recently that I've seen on 4K. To me, they look astounding were The Ten Commandments and My Fair Lady. Those two films on oh. 4K just looked beautiful. And I oh. imagine with the, with the um, with some of the um, old films that you'll be hopefully releasing on 4K format, that'll yeah. look astounding, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can vouch for that. These first two that we've done, I, as I say, I just... I'm kind of just amazed. I'm still kind of reeling from having look at, looked at them and just thinking, oh, my gosh, it just looks so incredible. So, you know, hopefully they'll land well and hopefully it'll be a slightly different offering to the kind of things that are coming. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to be ordering that um, Seventh Steel day one when that comes out yes. from BFI. So mm. one of my favourites. So very excited. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. <laughs> And yes, um, now this question is from James Mulville. And I have to say, I would love to know this question. I'd love to know the answer to this question myself. Who comes up with the beautiful designs of your box sets? John, do you want to tackle that one? Sure. Um, yeah, thank you for the question, James. Our, our man in Essex, another very good customer of ours. Um, well, we, we have right from the very start, um, you know, this, the, the great thing, I think, in our, in our five years has been, has been a lot of continuity. Obviously, myself and Sam are still here. Uh, that's a bit of continuity. But we've also got a guy uh, who lives up in Lytham St. Anne's. Uh, by the name of Nick Wrigley, who uh, has got some great experience in this, in this, uh, you know, in, in this industry, and really, you know, when he delivers stuff and he sends it you through on a WhatsApp and just says, "What do you think of this?" and you, you almost uh, there's a delayed reaction because you're just going, you know, you're just in awe of what of what you see. Um, you know, when he kept sending me into the wasp too, I mean, it was just these things are just, oh. They're just beautiful, as he said, you know, as James has said, the beautiful designs. So Nick Wrigley really is the man that, um, yeah, uh, is, is, is behind uh, the sets that we produce, I'm pleased to say, and um, long may it continue. Yeah, I think we discussed Nick a little bit, didn't we, last time we all spoke? Yeah, last time we did, yeah. You know, he, he really is um, a foundation stone in terms of what we've been doing. He's the one, you know, that we work with to devise the look and feel of, of the packages that that kind of continuity that we've got going with the layout and the, the use of the the branding and so on and so forth. That's, you know, he's, he's, it's of an integral piece of, of, of all of that. And, um, and also of policing it, you know, he's, he's essentially his role is really art direction across everything that we do. So, you know, making sure that uh, typefaces are correct, that, you know, that the logic that we've always implemented uh, is is always the same across everything. Um, 
So he's a real uh, a stickler for detail as well as being a, a great designer. And, uh, you know, one of his key concerns and one of our concerns across everything we do is, I suppose, this idea of authenticity. So it's always about adapting um, original artworks, observing original title treatments, you know, the question of whether or not they have quote, quote, you know, quote marks around them or not. And, you know, the, these are all the kind of the details that we get into. And what did we do last time that we did a film that had, you know, speech marks, quote marks around it? Did we did we follow that through on the menu and so on and so forth? And we just, you know, there are some inconsistencies, but more and more we try and make sure that we follow the same logic each and every time. Um, so, yeah, there are kind of there's like a book of indicator rules when it comes to the the artwork side. <laughs> Wonderful. Very cool. Yeah, they they really stand out, and it's very it's a very uni yeah. unified collection. And uh, I noticed that because yeah, I've got other boutique labels, but when I just look at the powerhouse one, it just really stands out. Just the colours, mm. the consistency. Yeah, yeah. And and I always bang the drum. I always say just use the poster art because because I love I just I love uh, yeah of course I just yeah. uh, absolutely I don't really know why you wouldn't just do that, but well, um, I wouldn't I, yeah yeah folks, isn't it? Yeah yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so I think Sam, you, you kind of touched on this uh, a bit earlier, but um, so, not 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 by name exactly, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's. I think we're good to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my my good friend Tim Lego down here in Australia, he um he he said, I just want to know what the hell happened with Ishtar. Yeah. Although I completely <laughs> understand them if they're not able to answer it. So um, if you guys can answer it, uh, there's be a lot of listeners curious what happened. I suppose John and I are still kind of asking this question to ourselves, you know, what the hell happened with Ishtar, man? You know, yeah. um, we really went to town. You know, we love this film and we, we, we you know, it's obviously historically had a, a, a very kind of unfair treatment um, for all kinds of reasons, which could be political to do with, you know, the changes within Columbia Pictures at the time, whether or not some of the bad press, you know, uh, was trying to kill, you know, or... You know, there are lots of questions, lots of you could get kind of quite, quite conspiratorial about what happened to Ishtar. And, yeah, I think that it, what it came down to without going into too much detail is there were just sensitivities um, mm. about that negativity. And mm. um, although we we very much felt that everything that we did, uh, every word of uh, spoken in the commentary, every word written in the book, um, every piece of additionality you know the extras were all whilst having to make reference to this kind of uh sort of sad past were very much um talking about how great the film was you know uh re re reappraising recontextualizing and it just got too sensitive it just got too complicated that really in in, in a roundabout way we just weren't really allowed to talk about the film <laughs> to talk about the film like you, you could present it but you couldn't really talk about it is what it kind of came down to so i hope i'm not really you know breaking any confidences there i i, I assume it's fairly obvious really from from the outside looking in that it was just you know the hands were tied really so yeah. it's a real shame because as i say all we all we really wanted to do is just give it its due you know and just say here's a is a what would have been a really sort of astonishing collector's edition of, of a film that's yeah been treated badly but we were yeah, I mean, so. yeah we look back on it now and I, and I guess really at the time it was one of those where we just discussed it between us ourselves me and sam and, and you think we've released in five years over two over 230 240 films now we haven't had too many 
particular instances where uh, this happened. So we just took that pragmatic view and went, let's just move on. And uh, and that's what we did. You know, we didn't fall out with Sony pictures about it all. And um, so, yeah, we've, we've just um, learned a few lessons from, from, the, uh, from the whole thing. And hopefully it'll benefit us going forward. I know, uh, Matt, that was one you were eagerly awaiting. Yeah, you know, it was it was very disappointing news, uh, obviously, you know, out of out of your guys hands a little bit and, mm. you know, a difficult situation. But, um, yeah, it, it was very upsetting to to get that email. Yeah, no, I, I well, yeah, I can. We, totally cried, we cried for days, Tim. Yeah, we <laughs> cried for days. <laughs> We were upset. Yeah, definitely. It was an easy decision, but I think I think <laughs> as much as it is disappointing, I think it was the right decision because we're just not in the business of uh, releasing, as it were, vanilla editions. You know, we went to a lot of time and effort and spent considerable money, it must be said as well, on putting it together, money that we could well use for other things. So we didn't, we definitely didn't take the decision lightly, that's for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that because I feel like it was ripe for reevaluation, and and there was a lot of they said it in the groups and mm. and po- social media a lot of positive buzz around that. People were, were yeah. excited, but um, but I, I completely understand that. that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, so this question is from Marcel Haneke. That's a great last name. As a lover of, as a huge lover of classic Hollywood, a Columbia Capra set or a DeMille Universal set would be stunning. Any plans slash chance? Same goes for a dedicated pre-code set. Just hope they continue their mix of really old and new films. Mm. I like the way new is in inverted commas there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the is about 20 plus years old. Yeah, yeah. John, do you want to tackle some of that? And I'll... Yeah, I mean, as with all, all these things, you know, um, uh, you, you look back on, I, I, I'm, I won't, preempt one of the questions we got further up and what the surprises that we've we've had in terms of sales going forward but you know i think we're totally in agreement you know a columbia campus set would be it would be magnificent and the, the, the people that we deal with at sony pictures would totally agree with us um but whether we get the materials and whether we can get the materials that you know that will make a, a great set well remains to be seen but uh, yeah we're in constant discussions with sony about the whole capra situation um and again you know our relationship with universal is is pretty strong um so you know we're looking at lots of different options with regard to to their catalog um we've alluded to the fact that you know there's um we've got a lot of great you know product going forward from the 60s you know that when they were working in the uk a lot more so any plans, any chance that hopefully, you know, we have got plans and um, whether we get the chance is, is going to be down to the, to the studios, really, and whether they're, they're will to do it. Um, but for us, yeah, it's a definite, uh, would, would, would they would totally make some amazing sets. Yeah, and, and, and in addition to all that stuff that we're sort of, sort of in, in ongoing discussions about, as John's alluded to, we actually have quite a number of titles under licence already um some of which fits this kind of bill i mean in terms of answering specifically on the pre-code set i mean that's definitely something we'd like to do but not something that we can confirm right now 
Um, but in terms of just the, the general um, sort of gist of the question that, that we whether we continue our mix of really old and inverted commas new, absolutely. That's that's the project. That's that's the whole thing that we're trying to do. So um, that kind of healthy mix of of film going right back to the 30s, up to the 70s, 80s, and sometimes just beyond is is definitely what our upcoming schedule, which, as John says, is, you know, we've got that mapped out possibly almost up to like two years going out from here um, with stuff that we're also laying on top. And, you know, before too long, we'll be making some announcements that might surprise in terms of going in a slightly different direction. But um, it, 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 nonetheless, it's more that's more to do with sort of genres or, or maybe country of origin rather than um, breaking with that methodology of old and new, which, as I say, will be constant. It's, it's always going to be what we do. Yeah, I'm very uh, excited and interested to hear the answer to this one. Uh, have been since I saw it posted on the thread. So this comes from, and if anyone knows how to pronounce this name, feel free to jump <laughs> in. Uh, Jop Nguyenhuis. Yeah, yeah, that was, that's that was terrible. Yeah. Good effort, Matt. Yeah, good effort. Uh, apologize to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> curious if the ultimate Harryhausen box set is going to happen. Well, if uh, willing would get us there, then definitely. Um, obviously, the whole we, we were we'd had a couple of meetings um, with um, with the guys at the um, at the foundation, and and you know, if they were keen to do it, then we, you know we had we had half a chance because you know where it will involve some other studios, um, and we do need that little help from them. So we we started the process, and we've had some very very good feedback. And then this thing called COVID happened, and uh, obviously we weren't able to meet. Everybody sort of took a back little, I guess, a little backward step from it. Um, but it's something that we're still still very keen to do. Um, you know, we we need to resurrect those conversations and see if people have changed their mind a little bit from you know when they made the decisions um over a year ago um but yeah i mean it, it, it you know harryhausen has just been you know certainly from um a powerhouse point of view indicator point of view has been has been a real stalwart you know the we did the sinbad set and then we did you know the volume one and and then individually these things just are incredible in terms of sales Fistman on the moon and, and it, it, you know, you, you're just astounded by the numbers. So to actually get something together where, you know, his complete works are there with, with some real special extras that we that we're planning on, then, yeah, so the willing the willing is definitely there. Um, I can't say yes, it will happen, but I certainly can't say no, it won't. But we'd love to love it to happen. So we'll, we'll, we'll start to make those conversations again with um with the guys at the um, at the foundation and fingers crossed that you know we can get something over the line obviously it's not going to fall on the anniversary which was um which would have been you know which was the initial plan but you know this covid thing just um, as i say just put a, a bit of spanner in the works but yeah the willing is still there yeah just to add to that it's it's um i mean the foundation have been great and you know we, we have a great relationship with them but it's 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 a sort of coordinating across a number of studios which is where things get a little bit uh, slightly more sort of logistically complex and um, because not only do you you know you're kind of you're speaking to this ambition to do this thing but then each studio has its own plans and ambitions and budgets and so on and so forth so to some degree you're you're sort of asking them to veer off course and to come on board with something which 
um, they've not, as I say, not really planned for or or, or mm. decided. But you know, having said that, as John alluded to, you know, the conversations that we we did have just sort of around February of last year were going in a great direction. It was very all positive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very positive. And you know, uh, we never made a, a sort of. I don't think John, we ever made a formal announcement about it. I know that there were. I think no, I think John like, John Walsh mentioned it on a yes. on a podcast or wherever sometimes. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's where it, it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Again, so I'm only space? echoing what John, yeah, what John said, but we'll 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 keep pushing, and we'd love to put it together because, um, yeah, he's someone who ne- who needs to be honoured, and it would I think it would be quite something to put all of those films uh, in one place and and just say, look, here's this man's legacy. That would be really great. Mm. I remember when you guys did that um, that postcard series, Harry Housen, mm. that was really cool. They were really popular. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Genius that he was. Now, this is from Will Sabre. First of all, he wants to say thank you, Team Indicator. You are obviously very passionate about your work and your products are a piece of art. Mm. And um, this is his question. This is his question. Um, Can you detail how the videos and booklets, extras of a Blu-ray are produced from the research, selection and production angles? And P.S., would you consider releasing more vintage westerns like the Columbia Noir box sets or Vincent from Paris, France? I think you need another podcast just to answer that question, Sam, I think. Yes, indeed, indeed, yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for such lovely comments. I mean, that um, there is a lot of passion uh, that drives us all, the whole team. I think the great thing about the team is they are at one time both kind of producers of these editions, but also very much consumers of this kind of thing, very active consumers of, of Blu-ray and, and UHD editions from around the world. And I think, you know, they and we are always striving to produce editions that would make us happy if we were to receive it. You know, that's in a way, that's the measure. Like if you had this in your hand, would you be happy? You know, if we did this or we didn't do that, what difference would it make to you as a consumer? So um, I think in terms of uh, to try and keep it as brief as possible, you know, what we'd start with doing, we have the acquisitions process. Um, we lock those titles down. We share that information with the team, as well as obviously getting their um, feedback and enthusiasm on those titles during the acquisition stage. Then there's a process whereby we kind of divvy those up. So we've got Anthony Neald, we've got James Blackford uh, doing the production, both great guys, good good history of having worked at Arrow. And uh, James was with me actually at the BFI many moons ago as well. Um, huge film fans, uh, hugely knowledgeable, great, uh, great technically, great uh, proofreading. You know, they, they really are. You know, they they're they're um, they've got they've got all the skills needed. And really, what we do, um, obviously, we're we're having conversations with them, uh, budgetary conversations, and conversations about what we're licensing and what what we're shooting. But really, we then hand it over to them um, to go into the details of of what what should sit around the film in terms of who would be a great person to com- to do a commentary, uh, what exists out there in terms of uh, archival materials, whether that's, you know, if you, I mean, quite often we're working on, on films uh, made by people who are probably passed by now, you know, and the majority of the people who've worked on them are no longer around. So we very often relying on uh, archives, whether it's, you know, interviews in French archives, American archives, the BFI, uh, the British Entertainment History Project. And I guess you're trying to sort of bring back to life 
all of those people and uh, allow them to have their say. It may not necessarily always speak directly to the film on the disc, but it can give you an overview of their career, um, their approach to their their craft and their art. Um, so I, I guess in 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 a in a slightly nutshell, that that's it in terms of actually producing new extras. Um, and maybe I'll touch on a, a question that was being asked a little bit further down the line that we might might not get to. That's uh, Stephen uh, Witowski was was going to ask about the pandemic and making extras. You know that definitely around March, April last year, we were <laughs> slightly thrown into a spin, thinking, "Well, these things that we had planned, we can't do them." You know, we we can't get a camera person to that person's home, or that person can't come to some to the studio to shoot. So then we, like everyone, had to adapt to you know quite a lot of our uh, releases in the last year. You'll see they've got kind of Zoom style interviews, or maybe where we might have shot something, it might have turned into an audio piece. And it might be illustrated with film clips and and stills and and posters and so on. So we've had to sort of yeah make some changes and adapt um, just to those circumstances. Um, slowly but surely, people are getting more confident, allowing people in their homes or to go to a venue to to appear on camera, which is is great. Uh, we work with some great people like John Robertson, who does work for a number of different boutique companies internationally, but he he developed all kinds of great strategies for recording commentaries remotely, which has become almost an industry norm in our space now. Um, so, yeah, I don't, sorry, I didn't mean to take up too much time, but that, you know, there's a couple of angles on the creation of extras. Uh, just to quickly say, vintage westerns, uh, we don't rule anything out. We I, I'd have to say we haven't got any immediate plans, but never rule anything out you know um we love we love a good box set so you know maybe that will turn up somewhere down the line awesome great very cool thanks for that sam um so yeah uh next question comes from uh, uh rafael rebello um so us as said on other comment uh one highlight of indicator editions is the work of fidelity in motion on the video encoding slash compression um, please, could you confirm the continuity of the work of FIM on the indicator releases? It has been a really great partnership. <laughs> we can confirm that, uh, yes. Um, obviously, David uh, McKenzie, uh, the man behind Fidelity in Motion, uh, has worked with us uh, for five years uh, on October the 23rd. As I keep mentioning to people, I think people are going to get the message very soon and I actually spoke to David um, he was in London last Friday and I asked if uh, it would be possible or would he be interested in um, attending one of the podcasts uh, going forward and he would love to do it so I think that's one that people will find very very interesting so obviously we'll plan between us when we can do that but yeah certainly David will be love to come on a podcast and I'm sure you can fire a load more interesting questions at him in uh, in the coming months that that would be amazing wow yeah mm. we'd love to pick his brains it's just the work yeah. is, is phenomenal on those releases yeah. in terms of the yeah. impression like there's it's really industry leading the stuff that that he does so mm. it, really it really is yeah yeah amazing cool um kendall i'll pass on you all right, can I be cheeky and go to my personal question? Yes, we tried to, we tried to get them the last one. We didn't. Yeah, Here's the curveball, is it? A little bit. Um, okay, no, good. Um, so 
It's almost like two little questions. Do you plan on releasing any more vinyl soundtracks like you did with Birdie? And do you both have one dream title that you want to release and a dream title that you know that you would take a while to acquire, but you would love it all the same? Well, with regard to the vinyl, um, the the whole birdie thing uh, happened when we, we got in contact with Peter Gabriel uh, and his, his record label. And in actual fact, that's the way we did it. You know, we, we got access to uh, the soundtrack on both uh, CD and vinyl. Uh, it was a limited edition vinyl, uh, but it lended itself so well to, to that promotion. So I think... It's not something we, we, we've done regularly, but if the opportunity comes, then sure, we you know we we would definitely do do all that again. Um, those wonderful people at Limewood Media had all the packaging ready for us to to put vinyl in with uh, with Blu-ray discs. So uh, yeah, that worked really well. But it was really thanks to the Peter Gabriel label that um, that that all came off. But certainly uh, going forward, we if it happened again, we would be keen to do it. I think the dream uh, title. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. And also, I guess we're mindful of the fact that there might be people listening to your podcast. So we, <laughs> I guess, I mean, I would definitely confirm that there are, you know, holy grail titles for me. And it, it, it I mean, it tends to be films from all uh, kind of a, an array of genres and eras, but there are, I mean, I don't know, just to put, put a little bit of specificity around it. There's some great films in the Paramount catalog from the late sixties, some British ones, which, I would I would kill to do you know um, uh, whether or not that'll be possible for various reasons I don't know I mean uh, again a little bit like what we spoke about earlier one of the major stumbling blocks is the fact that you know these films haven't really had any significant or in some cases any at all distribution history so outside of their original theatrical screening so you know it's the it's the materials the deliverables piece that is uh challenging mm. and whether or not you can develop a relationship with with a given studio that allows um access to negs uh allows you to take the reins on on a restoration or or just work out a means between both parties to create new uh new masters that's 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 one of the challenges in that space mm. but yeah that whole british late 60s british thing is is very dear to my heart so most of my mm. uh dream titles would be around there I have to say, what there's one dream title that, um, as a result of the of Ishtar not not really working out, obviously we 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 cried a lot and we sobbed a lot to the Sony Pictures people, so we managed to get a title, one of my dream titles, out of them, um, which we hadn't got in the schedule, uh, so it replaced Ishtar, and uh, I, I, I don't mind announcing it now. You're okay with this, Sam? I'm sure. Yes, definitely. Uh, is the swimmer. Um, which oh. for oh, me yeah. is just a dream, dream title. I've loved that film for such a long time. Um, and we do get an awful lot of requests. So as part of the deal where we lost one title, we gained another one. And for me, uh, that's going to be one of my dream titles. I can't wait to see how that all works out. So that's uh, a nice little exclusive for you. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that. And there was also like a little question too, because what people were wondering if, Ishtar was going to get replaced, or if that oh, number was going to stay there. So, there you go. wow, yeah, well, that's one answer. Yeah, that's that's amazing. No, thank you for, for announcing that, John. That's uh, that's an amazing film. Uh, actually, funny, interesting. They they played that um, about two years ago in Sydney at the uh, Sydney Art Gallery on 35 millimeter. Wow, wow. yeah, no. 
you've seen it on film, it, it's just a beautiful film. And and um, oh, absolutely. Lots of friends, first time watching, they were just blown away by it because they they thought mm. oh, 60s film, what's this? And they they walked away just gobsmacked by it. So um, yeah. yeah, that's that's amazing. Thank you that's for that. Cool. Yeah, for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So so this one comes from Seppo Nermanen. Uh, which titles have been the biggest surprises to you sales-wise, positively and negatively? What current not lightning fast seller would you like more people to take notice of and grab? And what title has garnered the most reactions? Like, I've never heard of that film before, but you put it out and I loved it. Um, well, for me, uh, the biggest surprises really uh, were road games, which, you know, we, we put up as a, as a really great addition and it sold out very quickly. And, and I think the same with Sweet Charity. Maybe we just didn't get the numbers right in terms of the limited edition um, uh, editions, but certainly the sales have been been, been fantastic. But the ones that, um, uh, you know, I have to say Sam, Sam has massive faith in was the Noir sets. And whilst we, we, we put a reasonable number on those, the sales of them have been so strong right from, from Noir 1 right the way through to Noir 3. The sales have been so strong. The word of mouth seems to get around very, very quickly. It's, it's, it's reviewing amazingly well. And obviously, we're just about to do number four. But I think, uh, in terms of positivity, that, that they've been they've been fantastic. Um, in terms of negative releases, you know what? It, I, I don't think we've had. I can't. There's none, none that, that that bring to I, that I can bring to mind that where we've been quite negative. Um, ones that you know, I think John mentioned it before um, in, in the podcast where he said we love these titles that you know we've never heard of, and suddenly you know you bring them out, and then we watch them and we go, wow, how did we miss that one? And I think you know that Bingo Longo is one that we've we've only just released, but certainly sales of that um, are. I think it's not a film I knew too well before before we 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 released it, but the reviews have been have been fantastic, and that those sales have been been quite strong and I think they're the ones that that I think Sam gets a lot of a lot of benefit you know in terms of kudos for all because you know he selects these titles really um knowing them a lot more than I do and it's nice when you you actually get you know the customer saying yeah what a great selection what a fantastic film that was and I didn't really know too much about it so I think that's where Sam pats himself on the back a little bit and goes I got it right at that time I got it right so I think Bingo Long, yeah, uh, Bingo Long, Traveling All Stars and Motor Kings is a great title to to, to sort of pick out because it's um, it's really you know it's got great pedigree. John John Badham, director of you know all those amazing films that John Badham made, and it's got Billy D. Williams and James Earl Jones and Richard Pryor. You know, it's but somehow it's never certainly in the UK, it's never really had any significant distribution history. Um, Great story, you know, really important, important kind of historical story uh, with a uh, and just lots of fun and humor in it. And I, yeah, like John says, it's great to release something like that and see such positive um, results, whether that's in the sales or with the reviews. Uh, it's really, you know, some of the reviews and the comments we've seen on social media of people just sort of really rejoicing at the fact that it's out. It's very, um, very pleasing. Yeah. Great, great. Um, Tony, do you want to ask, suppose, second question? Yep, yep. I'll ask suppose question. Um, any plans for some nice indicator merchandise, for example, T-shirts, mugs, and things like that? Zeppo, you've hit the, 
the nail right on the head. Um, I don't know whether you realise, but we're five years old in, in a few weeks' time. I can't remember whether I mentioned it or not a little earlier. Um, but yes, we have a, a nice, it's not a massive range of product, but we will be releasing um, yeah, T-shirts are in there. No, I don't think there's any mugs, but there's some really, really nice other merchandise. So that will be announced uh, very soon, uh, literally in the next few weeks, and uh, people will be able to order accordingly via the website um, very soon and some really nice merchandise on there and uh, we, we've um, it, our lovely friends at uh, Landwood Media have chosen uh, the merchandise so they have been sticklers for quality as they are for most things so um, there's no, no nothing too cheap in there that's the t-shirts aren't going to fall apart in a couple of weeks time they've really really gone to town and there's a couple of nice little surprises they've they've thrown in as well so yes Seppo you will be ordering we'll be watching your orders for your t-shirts and things in the coming <laughs> weeks no pressure no pressure Seppo no pressure <laughs> awesome That's in, really- in fact we should probably um, end by saying although we can't do the reveals now which is a little bit frustrating uh, because of the kind of conversations we're in but we uh, we've been working really hard not just on releasing the titles that we've been <coughs> releasing in the last year and also uh, starting up the 4k work that we're doing which will have its outcome later next year but there's something quite big that's going to hit soon and we're, we're as part of the sort of fifth anniversary moment we'll be making some announcements around that quite soon so watch this space i hope will go down as being quite sort of exciting news for a lot of people yeah, it's probably our biggest announcement in five years. I would have said, um, yeah. it's. Um, but we, we we will let you know um, very very soon. Yeah, that the announcement will be made in the next two weeks. It's just we're, we're a couple of weeks early in terms of letting you know that one. Oh, and just a quick one. There was a quick question from a Gray in Probets. Uh, will we ever get that <laughs> confessions box set? Joke question in brackets. Well, Graham, I can let you know that the confessions box set is still on our radar, and we're still pushing hard and we're quite confident that hopefully we'll get that one over the line so uh hopefully fingers crossed we'll, we'll, we'll get there with that one so i think we did really well john on getting most of the questions answered so well done to everybody yeah no well done guys it yeah. was great no thank you so much uh, i know you're busy so um yeah look that the listeners that the group will be really happy you're able to get through all the questions so no thank you so much guys that, that was amazing mm. Mm. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, yeah.